You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. The book of Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul has sent to the church in uh, Rome in by way of a funny introductory story. That means whenever I'm done telling this, you guys have to laugh, okay? <laughs> um, we live on the road right now, and I really do my best to observe the speed limit. Um, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, whenever I was a teenager, I was quite the opposite. Uh, and, and being on the road, Amber and I have observed as we go state to state, and sometimes even community to community, uh, that different people of the United States drive in different ways and they have different characteristics and things that would characterize how they drive. Uh, in New Mexico, there's a very specific thing that um, is very prevalent. I, the, Amber grew up in, New, in Nebraska and the very first time I took her to New Mexico, I said, now listen, hon, if, if you're in New Mexico and you're stopped at a red light and the light turns green, don't go. Um, Wait two seconds, look to the left, look to the right, because if you're in New Mexico and you're at a red light and the light turns green, what that means is the light has just turned red for some New Mexican, <laughs> and they are sure as shooting going to run that red light. Uh, and <laughs> growing up as a teenager, I was a good New Mexican. I, I was in a hurry everywhere that I went. Uh, and I knew all of the fastest routes across town. I knew where all the speed traps were, where the, the places where the police officers uh, would sit and uh, monitor the speed. And I felt like um, if there was a speed limit sign put up in my hometown, it had been put up for me to break, right? And um, I remember one time I was on my way to church, and it was shortly after I'd gotten my driver's license, the ability, the liberty to drive by myself. And, and as per usual, I was in a hurry, going as fast as I could, and uh, I got stuck behind a vehicle going five miles below the speed limit. Isn't that a blessing to your soul? <laughs> Not a blessing to my soul. I, I began to get frustrated at this vehicle. I began to try to find a way around them and couldn't find a way around them, and the traffic just wouldn't open up, and I began to stew in that frustration and get uh, even more irritated and uh, I wasn't saying bad things about them, but I was feeling bad things <laughs> about them. And uh, I remember finally the uh, traffic cleared up and I whizzed on around them. And as I'm going by, I looked over. And what do you know? It was my papa and my grandma <laughs> on their way up to church with me. I felt so horrible about all the uh, things that I had been feeling, not saying, <laughs> about them. Uh, and now, how many of you would say, Brother Frankie, I am like, it's just where you have to raise your hand, I am like uh, you are, I do my best to observe the speed limit. Could you raise your hand? Got a few, okay. And then how many of you, and this is where it's important who you chose to sit next to tonight, how many of you say, I, I am like you were when you were a teenager, Brother Frankie, if there's a speed limit sign, it was made to be broken. Any honest souls? We have one, two, three. Oh, we, oh, some people's hands are being pushed up by other people. <laughs> See, this is why it's important. If you're sitting next to a liar, lightning comes down at this part of the service. Uh, and that, that story only has any relevance to the uh, first part of the book of Romans uh, because the Apostle Paul was serious about getting there. 
He had a pedal-to-the-metal kind of ministry in life. He was serious about the gospel, kind of full speed ahead in life, right? You don't have to look very far in the book of Acts or Colossians or Galatians or Thessalonians or any book of the Bible that Paul had anything to do with to see that he was passionate about serving God. He was zealous. You could even say that he was intense. Intense in how he lived life with the gospel. And though we admire the Apostle Paul for his zeal and passion, and most of us would agree that we ought to be serious about the gospel, we agree with that. Few of us believe that we ought to live with the same kind of seriousness, passion, and zeal for the gospel that he lived with. And fewer of us still actually live with that kind of zeal. I'm afraid there are those of us living our Christian lives, we're serving Jesus Christ. Uh, but we're going 30 out on the highway. And you know as well as I do, that's not just frustrating, that's downright dangerous. I'm afraid some Christians are pulled off the highway watching the traffic go by. They're not doing anything for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in a very real way, they're allowing the gospel to be of no effect in their life. And you might say, well, I'm no Apostle Paul. And you'd be right. But God has never limited himself to using great and incredible people, nor has he restricted himself to using passionate and intense people. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have more in common with the Apostle Paul than you might think. We're getting ready to read here in Romans chapter 1. We'll see that Paul had a passion born of a meeting with Jesus Christ. That's why when he introduces himself, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. What we're getting ready to read, the verses we're getting ready to read, are part of an introduction to a letter that Paul wrote to the believers of the church in Rome. Interesting to note is he hasn't visited this church in Rome. He doesn't know most of the people there. He expresses his desire to preach the gospel in Rome... And he reveals an important reason why he was so motivated in his ministry and his life. That brings us to the title of the sermon, which is Reason to Run. Reason to Run. So if you're able and willing, will you stand with me at this time? And we'll read in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 down to verse 17. Though truly our text is just 14, 15, and 16. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto what? The gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. These are, this is a statement about the gospel. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh... And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Why for? For obedience to the faith among all nations. And so we send out missionaries. But what are those last three words of verse 5? For his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. They had a testimony, a reputation, you might say. And he's speaking to it. Verse 9, for God is my witness who I serve with my spirit in what? The gospel of his son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you. That I may impart unto you some spiritual ends. To the end ye may be established. He says I want to come to you and encourage you and build you up and strengthen you and help you. Verse 12, that is that I may be comforted, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He says, I want to help you, but I believe you can help me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And here we come to our text. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'd say he's pretty serious about whatever it is. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, to gather with your people, to meet with you. I ask that you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would inspire in our hearts a great zeal and passion, even in intensity in how we live life with the gospel. And we would not be content to allow the gospel to be a small part of our life, but that it would be a defining and transforming part of our life. I ask that you empty me of myself and fill me with your Holy Spirit's power. And I ask that you would work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. In the verses we've just read, Paul identified the gospel... I hope you paid attention to how many times the gospel comes out of this passage. But he identified the gospel as the thing that defined himself, the thing that connected him to the believers in Rome, and the thing that motivated and emboldened him because the gospel is how God saves humanity. That's a pretty big statement. How many of you learned to uh, write letters in high school or in junior high? I know I did. In, in our culture, whenever we write a letter, how, how do we start out a letter? Uh, typically, dear so-and-so, right? We, we say who we're going to address the letter to. We address the letter to the recipient. And then, and then how do we finish? How do we finish a letter? At the very end, something along the lines of sincerely Frankie Corley. Or, I mean, you would write your name. In, in Paul's time, you, you start off a letter by introducing yourself. And then you say who you're addressing the letter to. And, and I think it's really interesting because uh, I, I'm going to misread the text. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome. 
And what I just did is I skipped five or six verses. I read the first part of verse 1 and then the first part of verse 7. And that makes perfect sense for how letters are written in this time. So what in the world is verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6 about? If you take a few moments and examine it, you're going to see that these are strong statements about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why does, as Paul is introducing himself, this is a letter. He's introducing himself. He's addressing the letter to the church in Rome. Why is he giving this big, long spill? And it's, it's big. It's extensive. It's a ginormo sentence. Why is he going into what the gospel is? And I believe it's because the gospel was a part of who the Apostle Paul was. Right? The gospel defined his life. So much so that when he is introducing himself, he is t compelled to explain how the gospel has transformed him, how the gospel has defined him. And if you're here tonight and you have received that same gospel of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul is talking about in these verses, then you also ha have been defined by the gospel. What reason do we have to be in church on a Wednesday night when we could be doing so many other things if it's not because the gospel has changed us? If it's not because the gospel defines us? Verses 8 through 13, Paul indicated that it was the same gospel that connected him with them. And then in our text, Paul said it was the gospel that motivated and emboldened him. And we've already considered how passionate, how zealous, how intense he lived life with the gospel. And, and truly, that's what this message is about. But, but there's no place in, in the verses we've read where Paul says, I'm zealous I'm passionate, I'm intense with the gospel, and you should be as well. But if you were reading our text with any kind of care, you can't have missed that Paul obeyed God's command with passion and intensity. I mean, it just oozes out of our passage. You know, followers of Christ ought to be passionate about obeying God. Would you agree with that? Paul's passion to preach the gospel was reflected in his prayer life. Look in verse 9. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, now think about this for a moment. He doesn't know these people. He hasn't met most of the believers in Rome. And yet for some reason, he's holding God as his witness that he makes mention of them always without ceasing. I'm telling you, he was passionate and it's reflected in how he was praying for them. He says, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come into you. His passion to preach the gospel wasn't just reflected in his prayer life, but it was reflected in what had become the very desire of his heart. Look in verse 11. He says, for I long to see you. 
And then in verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul says, with everything that is inside of me, with all of my heart, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. telling you his passion, his zeal, his intensity are oozing out of this. It will just take a moment to see it. I would say that Paul served the Lord with gazelle intensity. Now this is not a term that's original with me. How many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey before? Would you raise your hand? Most people, it's okay if you don't know who he is. He's a financial guru. He's a tremendous motivational speaker. And I borrowed the term gazelle intensity from him. It is a principle uh, that from the Bible that he's called gazelle intensity. It's a principle about how serious you have to be to get out of debt. Uh, Dave Ramsey has a spill on the internet. You can find it easily uh, about gazelle intensity. He, he says, uh, one time I was considering this principle of gazelle intensity. It's, again, it's about a, princ- a biblical principle about how serious you have to be to get out of debt. He says, I was watching the Discovery Channel. And on the Discovery Channel, there was some gazelles just gazelling around. And uh, if there's gazelles on the Discovery Channel, they're not alone, right? Cue the scary music. Uh, there's a cheetah sneaking through the savanna grass after the gazelle, but the gazelles have been equipped with a special cheetah indicator behind their ear. Their head pops up. They see the cheetah. They yell, cheetah, run! And they begin to take off as fast as they can, and the cheetah begins to chase after the gazelle as fast as he can, and the gazelle is zigzagging this way and that way, and the cheetah is in hot pursuit. And the whole entire time, Dave Ramsey is spitting and screaming about how serious you have to be to get out of debt. Dave Ramsey says there's no way on earth that the gazelle can outrun the cheetah. The cheetah is the fastest mammal on dry land. And then just about that time, the gazelle does, in fact, get away from the cheetah. Dave Ramsey says eight times out of nine, when a cheetah chases a gazelle, the gazelle will get away eight times out of nine. You say, how is that with the cheetah being so much faster? You say, well, I reckon it comes down to a matter of motivation. Right? What's that cheetah running for? He's running for dinner. He's trying to fill his empty belly. What's that gazelle running for? His life. Dave Ramsey says, you want to get out of debt, you run, you go, 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 don't quit. And I'm telling you, that's how Paul lived life with the gospel. He served the Lord with gazelle intensity. So we come to our text in verse 14. We see that Paul's passion, his intensity, came from a desire to pay off a serious debt. Verse 14 begins, I am debtor. And if you're like me, this verse does not make very much sense. It's the first time that I read this. I scratched my head because I understood that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter and in writing a letter he needs to uh, introduce himself uh, and, and the gospel has defined his life and is such an important part of his life. It has become a part of his identity. And, and so I get that. I get that he needs to address the letter to the church in Rome and, and then try to form some kind of connection that why in the world he should write them a letter in the first place. And he does that very well. But what in the world... 
does the Apostle Paul owing money to somebody have to do with anything about what he's writing about? And it, and it doesn't make very much sense as long as, as we um, think of debt in the way that we normally do. And that would be like this. Um, Pastor Jet uh, loans me $40,000 and I buy a new vehicle for deputation. Thank you very much, Pastor Jet. You're a blessing to me. And until I pay that off, right, I'm in his debt. And that is the normal way that we understand debt. Uh, the, the type of debt um, and that would help us better understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about does not function like this. It would function more like uh, Pastor Jet gives me $40,000 and, and he says, uh, Brother Frankie, would you give this to Brother Jacob Madden when you see him next? And I say, yeah, I can do that. And then I take that money and I buy a new vehicle for deputation. Well, we're not going to consider the ethics of this situation. <laughs> but what have I done? I've placed myself in debt both to pastor who gave me the money to give to Jacob and also to Jacob who the money was for. But the Apostle Paul is not talking about a debt of money. Look in verse 14. He says, I am debtor. Who is he debtor to? Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Uh, it, it would be like this. Uh, when he says Greek and barbarian, he's taking two groups that are on complete opposite sides of the spectrum. When he says wise and unwise, it's as though he's saying, I am debtor to everybody. Uh, another way that might be even more accurate to describe this would be like to say, I am debtor both to the Americans and to the non-Americans. What have I just said? I'm debtor to everybody. Yep. When Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, he's saying, I'm debtor to everybody. Now, the Apostle Paul does not owe money to everybody. He hasn't borrowed money from the Greeks and the barbarians, from the wise and the unwise. No, what he's talking about is the debt of the gospel. You see, the gospel comes with implications. The gospel is not given to us for us to take and enjoy the benefits of and keep for ourselves alone. The gospel is given to us for us to give to the people of the world. If when the invitation time comes, you can raise your hand and say, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't have to spend all of forever burning in torment and torture in a devil's hell. I can spend all of forever doing exactly what I was created to do. That is worshiping and glorifying the God that created me. If you can raise your hand and say that, it is only because you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you, along with me, must say, along with the Apostle Paul, I am debtor. You see, it was Paul's attitude toward his gospel debt that drove him to go to all the places he went and do all the things that he did. 
And if you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you have good reason to be passionate in how you serve Jesus Christ. If we've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have good reason to run. So in our text, Paul said it was the gospel that motivated him. And then in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It was the thing that emboldened him. But it's really important to note the last part of verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. These two words are like the headline of the entire book of Romans. Whenever you read a newspaper, or perhaps I should say whenever we used to read newspapers, you could get the whole entire gist of an article just by the headline, right? That's what we have right here in these two verses. You see, the fact that the gospel defined the apostles Paul's life, that it was a significant enough part of his identity that he would include it in an introduction of himself. Uh, the fact that the gospel connected him with them, which, by the way, what reason in the world would I have to be here tonight if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the fact that the gospel motivated and emboldened him, those things only have any significance at all because of what the gospel is and what the gospel does. And so what is it that the gospel is? Well, it is God's power. It is how God saves humanity. Although to be perfectly honest to the text, we should probably say it is how God saves all of humanity who will believe it. So God's master plan defines us, connects us, and it should motivate and embolden us. All of us should have some intensity to how we live life with the gospel. So how can followers of Christ be passionate about the gospel? Uh, well, we can be passionate about the gospel by living wholeheartedly for Christ. It is so easy to come to church every time the doors are open to be as involved as we are able to be. And yet everything that we are doing for Christ, we are doing half-heartedly. You want to be passionate, you want to be zealous, you want to be intense with the gospel, then do what you do for Christ wholeheartedly. We can be passionate about the gospel by sharing the gospel with the lost. We can be passionate about the gospel by building up the church. You see, represented in this room tonight, in each and every single person who's received the gospel of Jesus Christ, is great, tremendously powerful spiritual light. And we realize it now, maybe perhaps more this year than ever before, but outside the doors of this church is tremendous, permeating spiritual darkness. 
And as this church family grows up stronger, grows up healthier, as this church family grows more mature in Christ, the light of the gospel that's represented in this room tonight shines brighter into the community and brighter around the world. So how do we build up the church? Well, if you're not, become a member. If you don't, attend faithfully, serve humbly, tithe automatically, give to missions, build relationships. I guarantee you'd have to say there's people in this room that I don't know very well. Take time. Be intentional. Build relationships with your church family. Build relationships with the people who are in this room. But then be intentional about building relationships with the people who are not in this room. People who are not a part of this church family. Not because you want to make them your best friend. No, build relationships with people who are not in this room because you want to give them the gospel and see them accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and become a person who's in this room. We can build up the church by reaching our community. Neighborhood Bible Rally, right? Tremendous opportunity to build up the church. You get to reach at all in one go. You get to reach into your community. You get to build relationships with the people who are not in this room. You get to build relationships with the people in this room. You get to serve humbly. It's incredible. We can be passionate about the gospel by going as a missionary to a part of the world that has little to no gospel preaching. There's 48 countries in Asia, 197 countries in the world. Nepal's two um, neighbors are China and India. Uh, Nepal is, it's significant. There's 29 million people there. China, 1.4 billion people. Uh, India, another 1.4 billion people. Those two countries alone hold one quarter, 25% of the world's population. You know, we, we love the United States. We're grateful to be here. For us, the United States is a big place. It's a big part of the world. But the population of the United States is just 4% of the population of the world. What that means is everything that we know, love, and enjoy is just a very small part of the world that God has sent us out into as witnesses with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to take a moment and name a few countries in Asia. China, India, Nepal, Indonesia, Pakistan, Myanmar, Uzbekistan, Iraq, Azerbaijan, United Arab Emirates, Oman, Cyprus. We could go on for a while, but each and every single one of these names represents millions and millions of souls. Who probably don't even have three churches in their country. I, I hope most of you got this tonight. If you take it out at this time and turn it over to the back, you're going to see a little tiny church building. Um, it's called Soto Jula Baptist Church. You, you probably can't read the signboard on the front because it's not written in uh, English and they don't use an alphabet, the same alphabet that we use. They use an alphabet called Devanagari script, but those first words just say Soto Jula Baptist Church. 
I would, I would love to take you there tonight. It would require far more than flying all the way around the world to the country of Nepal. Um, because when you get the airplane to the capital city of Kathmandu, which is a population of 6 million people, a population density greater than New York City, you'd have to get out of the airplane and climb into a Jeep that doesn't have any carpet on the ground. It doesn't have any functioning AC or heat. It doesn't have any power steering. The windows are still cranked. And you'd have to go 18 hours across the most dangerous highway in the world. I, I don't call it that. It's not a name, a nickname that I gave it. It is literally the most dangerous highway in the world. There's entire documentaries filmed on how dangerous it is. I haven't gone 18 hours across the most dangerous highway in the world in a Jeep without any power steering. Uh, you're not there yet. You need to get out of the Jeep and um, get your backpack and put it on your back. And in your backpack is whatever you need to survive for the next week or two. And then you're going to hike in three hours by foot on a footpath through the foothills of the Himalayas until you come to a valley wherein lies the village of Sotajula. And the most beautiful thing in the village of Sotajula is this little church building, which is, including the parsonage, is not even as big as one section of pews. What makes it beautiful is not the color of paint they chose to use on the outside or the fact that it has a blue tin metal roof. What makes it beautiful is the people who meet inside who've been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ out of a spiritually blinded pagan society, who are passionate and zealous and intense with the gospel. The entire church family will gather up and, and they'll go a half day's journey by foot. And a half day's journey for a Nepali villager is like a day and a half or two days journey for one of us half day's journey to a nearby village and they'll spend the rest of the day preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a village who's never even heard that Jesus Christ exists. Then the next day they'll pack up all their stuff again and go another half day's journey to another village and spend the rest of the day preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The missionary who first planted this church um, his name Joel Travis. Whenever he planted this church, it was not a three-hour hike in. It was still 18 hours across the most dangerous highway in the world, uh, but it was an eight-hour hike one way. Plant this church. And we have a hard time driving 25 minutes across town for a visitation. All I'm saying is it took some passion, some godly zeal, and some intensity to plant this church. But passion and intensity and zeal for the gospel is not just for great Bible characters, heroes of the faith like the Apostle Paul. It's not just for famous missionaries like Joel Travis or young missionaries like Amber and I, although... <laughs> It's going to take some passion and intensity for us to take Emily and back to be missionaries in Nepal. If we're being honest, all of us should live life passionately 
with the gospel. I want to close with a quote from William Booth and then three questions for each of us to ask ourselves. William Booth said, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful well for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Three questions for us to ask ourselves. One, do I serve God with passion and intensity? Do I serve God with passion and intensity? Two, why did God give me the gospel? And three, who am I debtor to? Do I serve God with passion and intensity? Why did God give me the gospel? And who am I debtor to? If you have a hard time answering that last question, I'd encourage you to go over to the nearest Walmart or grocery store sometime this week. Park where you can see the entrance and the exit clearly. And just spend one hour this week watching people go in and come out. Right. Take time, look at their faces. If they're wearing a mask, you'll just be able to see their eyes. And think about the eternal soul that's represented in each and every single person going in and out of that door. And I would say if you live here in this area, then that is who you are debtor to. Amen. See, it's just a fact. People need the gospel from you. And your life ought to be passionate and zealous for God. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.